When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here. And the classic movie, Lawrence of Arabia, um, I forget the, I think it's Ibn Saud, or I forget who is talking to Lawrence, um, but he says, you know, it is Englishmen who love the desert. We Arabs do not like the desert. We like oases and green gardens and fruit trees and things like that. Only you, only you Englishmen love the desert and want to keep coming here. And I think there's some truth in that, that maybe us Texans have a little more firsthand knowledge of what it's like to live in a place where there isn't a lot of water, even though um, we would never call central Texas a desert by any means. But it's drier than England and the East Coast. And most of the places where Christianity um has been written about. Most of our Christian history comes from Northern Europe. Um, Christian interactions with Scripture, Christians reflect, Christian reflections on Scripture come from places where there's a lot of green, there's a lot of rain, when in fact the world of the Bible is a lot more like West Texas than it is like New York or Georgia or Florida or um, France, Germany, England, places like that. And so when we read this promise of God to water the deserts, to grow crops in the desert, I think it's even more astounding and stunning and impressive and should be more impressive to us uh, in that God is doing a miracle in the dry places. And certainly this is a metaphor for the spiritual lives of the people of God that Isaiah is writing to, and it's a metaphor for our lives as well. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. This promise of streams of water in the desert is one that is threaded through all through Scripture. Um, people that lived really by the life of a few springs of water that come out of the ground and then the few rivers and streams that come from the Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee. Um, that's the water available to drink, to use for crops and all those things. In many ways, the history of the Middle East, what we call the Middle East or Southwest Asia, or whatever we call the land that um, the Bible happens in, uh, is a history of water rights. Who gets control of what? water source and who can dam the rivers and siphon the water off. And even today in the modern world, some of the conflict, um, some of the conflict centers around who gets what water um, as far as Syria and Damascus and all those places in the northeast of or northwest of Israel, um, how they control the water supply that flows into the Jordan River and the irrigation that comes with that. And we as Texans know full well what that's like too. Some of our conflicts with our neighbors um, 
going all the way up into Colorado and other places have to do with how much water they're taking uh, upstream and leaving for us downstream. And so this promise of an abundant water source in the desert is one that you can almost feel on your tongue, especially if you've known this kind of drought and dryness. These beautiful trees that will blossom, the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle tree, the olive tree, um, all of these involve time. These trees don't grow up overnight and they don't produce fruit overnight. An olive tree takes a couple years to produce olives after being planted. Most, of, most fruit trees are like that and the trees that really benefit humans for things other than just shade and, and firewood and lumber. Um, the kind of plant, the food that grows from these trees takes a while. And so when we look at the metaphor of the people of God, the desert, the spiritual desert that they're walking through, where water is so precious that it's rationed and carefully distributed, when God promises abundance, it's almost hard to imagine, impossible to imagine. And sometimes for us, it's impossible to imagine. If you're in a desert part of your life right now, you're in the wilderness, there isn't a lot of abundant water flowing. There's just a, sort of a dry spell. We kind of talk about that when it comes to creativity. I'm going through a little bit of a dry spell. Um, we might talk about that in ways, in other ways too in our lives. But ultimately, that sense of there's not enough, there's just not enough water flowing is a very real part of human life. I, you know, I don't, I don't know how we prepare children for this. I like to think that we try to prepare children for the realities of life, that life is sometimes really dry. There's some really hard desert experiences that we have to go through. But the promise of God is that God will make pools of water in the dry land. The wilderness will have springs of water. These beautiful fruit trees will grow. And I think the, the kind of abundant fruits of the Spirit that are born in people's lives come out of the places of desert and dryness in their lives. Um, ultimately, it is out of these really difficult and hard places that we've been through that the beautiful fruit of God's love comes out. Um, you can always tell someone, tell that someone has understood a little bit about their own suffering if they are able to offer compassion to others. It doesn't mean they've had the same experiences as us. I mean, nobody can have the same experience as another person. Even if you've had the same experience of, an, of another person, you still didn't have their full experience. And so um, this kind of empathy that comes from knowing what it's like to be in the desert, um, if you know what that's like, our compassion and love for others comes out. And so um, when the prophet promises these streams of water in the desert, um, he is promising the life of God. And so to you, as I said before, if you're in a dry desert, take this promise to heart that God is going to grow in your life, in the desert places of your life, fruit trees that will bless more than just you, but everybody around you. Fruit trees are beautiful in that they usually produce way more fruit than one person can handle or take in. Um, they're meant to be shared. They are symbols of sharing this kind of abundant love of God. And so Isaiah is just as relevant today as he was back then. Ultimately, 
Um, God can do this miracle in you. And you have to believe that. Um, You don't have to believe that. Sorry. I encourage you to believe that. Um, It's really hard to believe that, though. And I know that's a challenge, to believe that God can still do things in the desert parts of our lives. But that is true. God can and God will. And sometimes the little shoots of God's green sprouts are, are starting to happen. They break through um, the surface of the ground in the desert, and there's water enough for them to grow. And that is what we hope for in God's life. We have to keep uh, caring for the desert places. Um, erosion can happen pretty easily. And that's one reason we form communities called churches. We want to be places where um, one person is not going through the desert all by themselves. Every person in our church has gone through a desert experience one time or another. They may not be in it right now, and that's kind of a good thing. It's good that all of us don't have the same crisis all at the same time. Um, And when we are not in the desert, we need to look for people who are and encourage them and love them and listen to them and care for them as they go through those experiences. Because God is watering deserts. He always is. He's watering the deserts of our lives. Amen. Today on January 12th, the church remembers Elrid, the abbot of Rival. My French isn't that great. Maybe um, yours is but we'll call him Alred. Alred was born in 1109 of a family which had long been treasurers, or really the vestry or bishop's committee, of the shrine of Cuthbert of Lindisfarne at Durham Cathedral. While still a youth, he was sent for education and upper-class life to the court of King David of Scotland, the son of Queen Margaret. Um... The king's stepsons, Simon and Waldef, were his models and close friends. After intense disillusion and inner struggle, Alred went to Yorkshire, where he became a Cistercian monk at the Abbey of Rival in 1133. I guess that's not French. It must be Anglo-Saxon. I don't know. That name is throwing me for a loop. R-I-E-V-A-U-L-X. Um, a fun word, but that's an abbey, a monastery of um, there in the medieval world. Alred soon became a major figure in the English, in the life of the English church. Um, He's sent to Rome to do business for the diocese on behalf of the Archbishop of York. England is divided into basically two sections religiously, the Archbishop of York and the Archbishop of Canterbury are kind of like, um, not quite vice president and president, um, but they do have historic claims to authority over all of England. The Archbishop of Canterbury being closer to London, the capital Um, has always had a little more sway than the Archbishop of York. But um, those two have had a lot of shared leadership in the country. 
He came back through Clairvaux in Europe, where he made a deep impression on Bernard of Clairvaux, who encouraged the young monk to write his first work, called The Mirror of Charity, on Christian Perfection. In 1143, Alred led to the founding of a new Cistercian house in Revesby. Four years later, he was appointed as the abbot of Rivial. Rivial. Rival. Revolx. I'll just pronounce it phonetically. By the time of his death from kidney disease in 1167, the abbey had more than 600 monks, including Alred's biographer and friend, Walter Daniel. During this period, Alred wrote his best-known work, spiritual friendship. Friendship, Alred teaches, is both a gift from God and a creation of human effort. While love is universal, freely given to all, friendship is a particular love between people, in which the example is Jesus and John, the beloved disciple. As abbot, Alred allowed his monks to hold hands and give other expressions of friendship to each other. In the spirit of Anselm of Canterbury, and Bernard of Clairvaux, Alred writes, there are four qualities which characterize a friend, loyalty, right intention, discretion, and patience. Right intention seeks for nothing other than God and natural good. Discretion brings understanding of what is done on a friend's behalf, an ability to know when to correct faults. Patience enables one to be justly rebuked, or to bear adversity on another's behalf. Loyalty guards and protects friendships in good or in bitter times. It's a beautiful reflection on friendship. Um, I think our national conscience, culture, conversation, if you will, is really questioning um, what friendship is right now. Um, We certainly have um, lots of models of um, of romantic love and media portrayed, and that is sort of the highest good love that we often hold up as the ideal of love, romantic love. Um, most of our pop songs are about romantic love. And yet this subject of friendship, um, this idea of friendship is one that I think as Americans we've had trouble with culturally, to know what that is, to know how to deal with it, there's a real um, movement today to, to um, encourage people to cut out toxic friends from their life. Um, we talk about people as being toxic, and to cut them out is sort of the work of psychologists and counselors in people's lives. There's a TikTok going around from yesterday that I saw that um, has a therapist explaining to somebody how to cut a toxic friend out of your life. And it basically says, you know, I've moved on. I need to cut you out of my life. It's not because you're bad or anything. It's because I need to do this. And it's just, it's done in sort of an HR kind of language, human resources department language for a friend. And it's really weird. It's cringy and disturbing because it's like, you know, we all understand how HR talks and how corporate speak is. And then when it comes into friendships, it just sounds really weird and strange. And so I think our, there's a sort of a collective conscious trouble right now. And what is a friendship and what is a good friendship? What makes a good friend? Where do we find friends? 
in the modern world when you move around a lot and you don't have long networks of establishment? These are really big questions. The movie, the recent movie, The Banshees of Lindisfarne, um, explores friendship, especially male friendship, um, in a really disturbing and comical way um, that I can't wrap my brain around. But if you haven't seen it, it's a movie worth watching in that it um, really explores that question of friendship. And here, Alred, the um, abbot of, uh, thank you, Brady, Revo, Revo, thank you for that, and Melanie, Revo, thank you, um, help us to, to see that friendship was an issue in his day as well. You can imagine the life of being a monk um, in a monastery, that friendships would be really important as you endured the hardship of that life together. Um, his allowance to allow monks to hold hands. Um, in most of the world, up until very recently, men were, it was normative for men to hold hands walking around together. Um, certainly women in our culture have had a little more freedom in, when it comes to touch with each other. Men, I think mainly because of homophobia, and other really icky and awful um, projections on relationships that men primarily have done have destroyed that ability for men to be physically affectionate, holding hands and things like that, without there being a romantic or sexual part of that. And that's something that our culture is really um, trying to discern right now. I think there's a lot of good things happening in that conversation but it's one that Alred was having a long time ago. Um, how to be friends, how to show love. People do need love. We do need love. We do need um, friendship. That is something that is deeply embedded in our humanity. And so Alred trying to help his fellow monks and himself probably um, learn about friendship is a beautiful thing to know that this quest for love, this quest for friendship, this quest to be known and to belong um, is one that goes, that's a thousand years old, as we can see today, and, and obviously much older than that as well. Let us pray. Almighty God, you endowed the abbot Alred with the gift of Christian friendship and the wisdom to lead others in the way of holiness. Grant to your people that same spirit of mutual affection, that in loving one another, we may know the love of Christ and rejoice in the gift of your eternal goodness. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I invite your intercessions. Or